0: As the United States Trade Representative from 1997 to 2001 during the Clinton administration, Ambassador Charlene parchevsky served as the nation's leading trade negotiator. She is now a partner at the law firm of Wilmer, Cutler, Pickering, Hale, and Doerr. Today, she discusses the impact of COVID-19 on national and global trade. She delves into how this virus is hitting both the supply and demand side of the economy and why the United States' stand of America First is harming the country's ability to recover quickly. Let's listen in.
1: Thanks very, uh, thanks very much, Nancy. Uh, and Liz, thank you very much. And Andrew, hello. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I will introduce my partner, David Ross, uh, as soon as I'm done. I thought I would just talk for uh, a couple of minutes, and he's going to talk for a minute or two, and then open it up to questions. So I was asked to address uh, the uh, COVID situation and its effect on trade. Um, So as you know, uh, COVID, despite their best efforts to say it started with the U.S. Army, uh, began in Wuhan, China. Uh, Lots of theories about why it began in Wuhan, but in any event, uh, it began uh, in China. You all know China uh, botched its initial response because as uh, emperors of yore, Xi Jinping didn't want to hear any bad news. So China lost a month, effectively, the world lost a month in coming to grips with the notion that this was an extremely serious and aggressive uh, virus which could spread person to person as well as among people who had no known exposure to the virus. Um, China's economy during this time, meaning January, February, uh, really almost, uh, well, began to collapse, I'll say. Exports were off 18%. That had never happened uh, in China's recent history. Imports were also down because you ended up here with a supply and a demand shock. And the level of contraction in the Chinese economy is estimated by the end of the year to be extremely severe. China moving from a growth rate in the 6% range to perhaps growth of 1.8% or slightly less. So, this is uh, extremely serious, not just for China, but for the global economy, because as you may recall, during the 2008 2009 financial crisis, China was the globe's source of demand and has remained a critical source of demand for the world uh, with respect to trade and economic flows. Uh, To the extent China's economy slows as considerably as is estimated, China may well not be a source of the kind of significant demand the world has come to rely on and its Asian neighbors have come to uh, rely on. If you look around the rest of the world, uh, Europe now has its act together a little better than it had, but you have lockdown in the four largest economies uh, in Europe. The rest of Europe is taking varying degrees of uh, measures. Uh, it said that output in Europe is now 65% of normal. I think that's uh, too, way too high a figure. I'd be very surprised. But Europe is coordinating a policy response on the fiscal side and the monetary side with respect to loans, with respect to stimulus, uh, guarantees to the private sector, uh, and a suspension of fiscal rules in Europe, which uh, tended to force member states to stay within certain budget parameters. Uh, Latin America is something of a question mark. Mexico has only recently gone into something more akin to a lockdown mode, but then you have countries like Brazil where it's President Bolsonaro uh, called uh, uh, COVID-D a media-fueled fantasy. Uh, And so, and you've a spread uh, in Latin America and South America of countries doing various things, but nothing uh, coordinated and nothing that speaks to the seriousness of the issue. The rest of Asia, of course, is hit very hard by China. But you have a number of countries in Asia that saw the tea leaves early on Singapore, Taiwan, even Hong Kong, although there's some backsliding there. uh, And several other countries saw very early on they'd have to take measures, not just to protect health, but to protect their economies. Uh, And while they are doing better, uh, they will be hard hit by this as well. And in the U.S., as you know, estimates vary, but it looks like uh, Q1 uh, will see a contraction of 10 to 15 percent. Q2, the estimates vary, but it looks like uh, consensus is centering around a contraction of 20 to 30 uh, percent. Uh, There's been no unified state response, as you know, in the U.S. Some states move quickly, New York, California. Washington state. Some states still haven't moved or have only just moved Florida, Mississippi, uh, Texas, and uh, several others. There's been no coordinated federal response that's uh, painfully clear, nor has there been uh, a a call from the top uh, to shelter in place uh, nationwide. Uh, The world is in recession, Uh, World Bank just came out with its forecast. uh, Base case, global growth 2.3%. It's down considerably. Uh, Worst case, 0.1% growth uh, this year. OECD has already cut its growth forecast in half. uh, And uh, the World Bank, uh, sorry, uh, and uh, the IMF and others Uh, are saying uh, what looked like a positive growth rate for the world of 3%, uh, we'll see a contraction of uh, uh, 4% in 2020. In terms of global response coordinated, G7, G20, nada. Uh, If you look at the response of each of those organizations during a financial crisis, you saw specific programs recommended with enormous dollar amounts attached to each to be contributed to globally. There is nothing that came out of the G7, nothing that came out of the G20, period, full stop. I can't even say nothing close to what these uh, entities did during a financial crisis. It's just nothing, Uh, which shows uh, a real attitudinal shift Uh, among uh, countries uh, turning inward, uh, parochialism, and nationalism, uh, and the fact uh, that leaders uh, actually don't want to give sobering news to their populations in any event. The effect on trade is kind of interesting. Trade flows around the world began to slow three or four years ago, actually slightly more than that. Lots of reasons for that. Protectionism is one. Uh, The maturation of supply chains is another reason. Uh, But certainly uh, flows now will decline substantially again, both for supply and demand reasons. There's another reason as well, which is global warehousing capacity for trade flows is full. It's full. There's nowhere to put anything that's shipped right now unless it goes immediately into the stream of commerce. So you will see necessarily um, uh, a shift in global trade flows a slowing in those flows even, even as people recover because all that stuff that's in warehouses around the world's gotta come out of inventory. So this recovery for that reason and for many others may well be somewhat slower than people believe uh, uh, it will. Trade measures that have been invoked by many countries around the world are a further problem and further uh, uh, have further rather slowed uh, trade. Uh, protectionism, as I said before, has increased globally in terms of the measures countries undertake to block imports into their countries. That also means there's a corresponding block on exports. No one ends up winning, actually. The U.S. policies have exacerbated the global trend, one, because we're such a big market, and number two, because we're the bellwether. And many countries look at the U.S. and figure if the U.S. is just going to flout the rules, why shouldn't they? Uh, So what the U.S. has done, of course, as you know, it's the America first uh, mentality, the use of unilateral trade measures which the WTO was created to put an end to, the abuse of national security provisions to erect trade barriers, the unilateral imposition of tariffs, the resurrection of Buy America statutes, putting pressure on global supply chains to try and break them apart to bring manufacturing back home. Most of the manufacturing will not come back home in any event. It'll just shift around the world to other uh, countries. A lot of talk by the U.S. about decoupling the two world's largest economies, the U.S. and China, and of course, the U.S.-China trade war. All of these things uh, hamper global trade. All of these things shift trading patterns in some areas in ways not particularly conducive to U.S. uh, interests. There's lots that should be done on the trade side uh, from the point of view of the US, but I'll mention just six measures that certainly, certainly the US should do now given the current crisis. One remove the tariffs we imposed on medical equipment, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, and anything else needed to fight the COVID uh, virus. Uh, The U.S. has eased some of the tariffs it imposed against China, not nearly enough, not covering all medical devices, uh, pharmaceuticals, and personal protective gear, and so on. That's one. Two, the U.S. in any event should lift all the tariffs it imposed unilaterally. Contrary to uh, Donald Trump, it's the U.S. that pays the tariffs. It isn't China that pays the tariffs. Uh, And we are already in a recession. That recession has exacerbated the extent to which it's even more costly to buy the goods that we need. Third, waive by America requirements. We need more imports of uh, critical medical goods, not less imports. Fourth, waive visa rules so China can send doctors and scientists here. They have more experience than anyone with this virus. We need that expertise. Fifth, stop pressuring the supply chain. Stop goading companies to dismantle supply chains. There is no time for that uh, now. Uh, And sixth, it's very important for the US, Europe, and China to coordinate and cooperate on vaccine development and ultimately to come up with a plan for the production and distribution of vaccine globally. That'll be vitally important, not only to our own countries, but to the developing world. It's estimated as you probably know that the developing world will be decimated by this because they already have entirely inadequate uh, healthcare and relatively few healthcare facilities for the aggregate population. So let me just stop there. Let me introduce for uh, just a sec my partner, David Ross, who will just broaden this out a tiny bit and add to it. Uh, David uh, is, as I said, a partner of mine at Wilmer Hale. Uh, He uh, uh, has a distinguished career uh, at USTR on Capitol Hill as Chuck Grassley's uh, Chief Trade Counsel uh, and a number of other. Uh, important uh, positions. So let me just turn it over to you, David. I think you're on, although I don't see your picture.
2: Yeah, I I am on. Can people hear me? Yes. Okay. So I mean, I think, Charlene, you gave a pretty pretty thorough uh, uh, summary of the various trade measures we're seeing. I guess what I would add to it is one thing we're seeing from the crisis is that trade rules and multilateralism uh, they, they work well in normal times, but, but they tend to go out the window if there's a crisis. And so you're seeing that with the, with the uh, uh, disinterest in getting rid of any of the tariffs that are in place. Uh, you've seen export restrictions being imposed, I think, by about 50 countries around the world right now on the export of like, personal p- protective equipment and whatnot. That's, that's technically speaking against WTO rules. Uh, although there are exceptions for public health, and I'm sure that uh, even if anyone was one was in, inclined to challenge these rules, uh, the countries putting them in place wouldn't change them anyway. You're seeing talk now about actually putting new Buy America restrictions in place in the U.S. Uh, requirements to purchase U.S. medical equipment, U.S. Uh, pharmaceutical inputs, and whatnot. So that's actually being fought out right now, uh, interagency, at the White House, whether that's a good idea or not. There's a lot of uh, different views within the administration. And then more broadly, you're seeing an impact on uh, trade agreement implementation. The, the uh, uh, administration had wanted to try to put the new U.S., Canada, Mexico uh, agreement into effect on June 1st. Uh, a lot of people thought that was really overly ambitious, especially the auto companies. That's kind of been now overtaken by events because it looks like that's going to slip at least until July, if not longer seeing a slowdown in the US UK talks. And generally speaking, we're, we're seeing a slowdown across the board. I guess the only other thing I would say is, in addition to the international effect, of course, you're also seeing an intense impact on US trade inside the country. Uh, we have a coronavirus task force at Wilmer that gives us pretty good visibility across the range of practices. And we're seeing intense impact across all the things that the firm touches on. Just one example being the Congressional Relief Program, the CARES Act uh, that was enacted to law last week has a $350 billion new loan program for small business. Uh, we're seeing intense client interest in that. It looks like that program is going to be oversubscribed uh, pretty quickly. It's opening up tomorrow. There's a $450 billion loan program for, for the broader uh, U.S. economy, which is just getting going, but an intense interest in that. Uh, we're seeing a lot of, of uh, interest in how com- companies can work together uh, to cooperate to develop new products like like ventilators, notwithstanding the antitrust laws. We're seeing a lot of activity in the security space with uh, re- 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 disclosure requirements and whatnot. So just a myriad of, of impacts across the, uh, the firm uh, that just reflects what's going on uh, in the trade environment uh, in the US.
1: And if I could add, thank you, David. Uh, and if I could add just one other thing where COVID meets the CARES Act, meets international trade, Uh, there is in the uh, CARES Act uh, a small business payroll protection program. These would be loans to small business to protect uh, their payrolls. That's a very, very good idea. Among the representations the small business who's applying has to make is that the small business will purchase only American-made equipment and products. Of all the time not to restrain small business from getting back on its feet, it would be now, and it would be with respect to potentially significant alterations in where small businesses purchase inputs from and from whom. Uh, That's one example where all of these issues come together in what I fear will be a negative way. So um, Nancy and Liz, let, let us uh, stop there and open it to questions. Uh,
2: how do you see the recovery happening? Do, does, it, does the world start to move again? Or uh, does it take six months? Does it take a year? Does it take five years? Uh, and what mechanisms uh, do you see having to, uh, to be put in place?
1: So as to recovery happening, I have no idea. What's really interesting is that you saw sort of an early effort, both here and in Europe, to try, and by early effort, I mean in the last week or so, to try and model off of China. So China, this crisis started actually in December in China. Uh, China has lifted many of the restrictions under which folks operated, not all of them, but many uh, outside of Wuhan, let me say, uh, many uh, about two weeks ago. It looks like they will lift further restriction in Wuhan as well. Um, And so the thought was, since China is way ahead of the rest of the world to start modeling off of China. Well, a couple of points. Number one, what exactly are they modeling off of? because, I mean, I've been doing China stuff for 30 years. Of course, the numbers were always phony. Uh, That is, the number of infected, the number of deaths. There was no way the number of infected was ever that low, and there was no way the number of deaths was ever that low, but that's okay. It's clearly, they had an epidemic on their hands. Now, of course, intelligence reports are coming out that the numbers were way understated, and that the abrupt end in quotes to the crisis could not have happened that way. Epidemi- epidemiologically, it can't happen quite that way. There is no abrupt end. Uh, and yet that's what China was claiming. So uh, if you want to model, first of all, we don't know the extent of the economic decline. Second, we don't know how long that decline will continue to go to go on, particularly if in fact the numbers are wrong, if the death rate is wrong, if curbing the epidemic has not actually happened, although I think certainly it has slowed. Um, uh, So you don't don't actually have a baseline that is a uh, a known transparent baseline off of which to model. So that would be point one. Point two, even as we look at uh, China, we see that services trade was impacted more severely than manufacturing the us is far more services dependent economically than manufacturing dependent so whatever effect we would see in china would be exacerbated in the us by the different compositions of our economy and our vectors of uh, growth third uh you know in 2008 we had a financial crisis uh and we had a dearth of demand here we have a supply and demand crisis we don't yet have a financial crisis the banks are quite <clears throat> quite sound <clears throat> but we have ma- a massively leveraged corporate sector so what what? does that suggest for what a recovery plan might look like? I'm not not schooled enough uh, to be able to tell you that, except to say that prior references, whether it's China or whether it's the financial crisis, are likely not going to be uh, uh, accurate. And last, there's a huge psychological impact. You know, if you look, if you think about the way business runs, you think about the way people behave in the marketplace, it is very difficult to imagine none of that will change. It's difficult to imagine that the structure of our economy will necessarily be exactly as it was, status quo ante, uh, as it was before all of this began. Uh, And instead, we may see a rather different kind of economic activity. We may see the online world becoming ever more present across all demographic groups. We may see traditional businesses go under. The services sector will restructure in many respects. That's virtually inevitable because the vast number of small and medium-sized businesses uh, absent real programmatic relief won't make it through this. So I think we we don't know what that recovery trajectory is. And it's a little bit difficult to be entirely certain what we're recovering toward. And that uncertainty adds another layer onto the complexity of trying to model how exactly we unwind what we already have done and how we move forward. And of course, how quickly given the behavioral changes that we're likely to see.
0: Yeah, I have a question. This is Russell Molina. I own several businesses in Houston, Texas. I want you to, if you wouldn't mind, elaborate on the point that you said in regards to the CARES Act that businesses like mine are going to be, uh, we have to say that we're going to buy only American. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: Uh, I think David, I don't know if you have the language uh, uh, at home with you. I don't have it here. Uh, but as I understand it, there are a series of representations that will have to be made. Uh, and one is that uh, and it's these are likely to the extent practicable, but that's not defined uh, that you would purchase only American made equipment and uh, products. It's not clear how long that obligation exists. It's not clear if there are exceptions to the obligation. The words, you know, if practicable or as maximally practicable, uh, not, none of that is defined. You know, when you when you're operating under by America rules, traditional by America rules, all sorts of parameters, and you know, you sort of understand the scope the duration of the program, you understand very specifically what's being demanded of you. None of that is apparent here, except for this attestation that has been uh, put in the legislation. I don't know if it was sure. always there or thrown yeah, in. Yeah, sure. I mean,
2: if, I, if I could just, if I could just interrupt. Uh, yeah. so the, the the requirement, it's, it's not in the law. Uh, it was put into the application and uh, we've been digging into this for about 24 hours. This language it says it says to the extent feasible uh, the the borrower will will buy will purchase American uh, equipment and products uh, it turns out this is actually language that that is uh, contained in, in the existing small business loan program so this isn't a new uh, language but it was a surprise to everybody that it ended up in this particular program uh, we've been talking to staff in the congressional committees that that oversee uh, the administration for trade issues, and they were surprised. And I know the small business committee was surprised to see this. And there's some some view that this is an inappropriate condition to have uh, in a program like this, which is a crisis program that's supposed to have very, very low barrier of entry requirements. So it may be uh, that that requirement will fall away uh, before the program really gets up and going. I know it's under under discussion right now. While while uh, while this crisis has been going on. Saudi Arabia and Russia decided to get into a price war relating to oil. And I'm just curious what your perspective is on the dynamics around that. Uh, and given that oil demand, given what's going on in economies around the globe, is 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 in the process of plummeting um, while they are opening up their spigots. I'm just I would just be interested in your in your perspectives on that.
1: Well, obviously, the timing of this was uh, inopportune. Uh, the question for for Russia, for Saudi Arabia, is who's, who is going to be able to exert maximum influence on price? Uh, and from the Saudi point of view, obviously, it's Saudi Arabia uh, that believes, although this is not the case, that it has the fiscal space uh, in which to have prices plummet. Uh Russia's view is quite different uh, and wants to be in much uh, greater uh, control. Uh, of course, for the U.S. shale industry, which is a high-cost industry, uh, low oil prices is not good. Uh, the industry needs higher oil prices, much higher than what you see now, uh, and higher than it's been actually for uh, a while. Um, it isn't just the White House that has basically said to the two of them, you've got to stop this. Uh, A number of countries, uh, particularly European countries, have gone to both Russia and Saudi Arabia to say, this is not the time for a crisis. This is not the time to be engaging in the kind of behavior you're engaging in. No one needs it. Uh, And in theory, as you saw or heard from the news today, there is some understanding Uh, that exists between Saudi Arabia and Russia um, that this uh, price war will stop. Uh, I I absolutely have no way of knowing if that's true or not, but a number of countries are leaning on both of them to cut it out.
0: While the outlook is grim for both the United States and the global economy, Charlene Barshevsky says there are a number of things we can do to move toward a faster recovery. One, remove tariffs on medical supplies. Two, lift tariffs on all imported goods. Three, waive Buy America rules, especially for small businesses. Four, waive visa restrictions that are currently preventing European and Chinese doctors with experience treating COVID-19 patients from entering the US. Five, stop pressuring supply chains. And six, begin coordinating with other countries to develop a vaccine. Learn more about how No Labels is bringing together a coalition of bipartisan leaders to stop this virus, save lives, and get Americans back to work at nolabels.org. I'm Ryan Clancy, and this has been an episode of Gridlock Break, a No Labels podcast.